Hey there, welcome to I Hope This Age Is Well, a podcast centered around capturing the stories of our most senior community members. I'm a stand-up comedian, so to make each episode a little fun, I'm going to be sharing jokes with the guests, and the guests will be sharing jokes with me. I'm your host, Gilberto Soto. Should we get started? Yeah, let's go. So here comes my husband, who I met in a very interesting way, who was separated for two weeks after a 32-year marriage. And it was sort of love at first sight. I thought, I said to him, this, there's no future in this relationship because there are too many obstacles in the way. But he has the sexiest mind of anybody I've ever met. So I'll go out with him. My, my husband was brilliant. And he was not a game player. He was right out there. Our third date, he said to me, I told my children about us. I said, you what? I almost jumped out of a moving car. He said, what did you tell them? He said, that we're in love. I said, are we? He said, I am. Wow. And so neither one of I pleaded with him to go out with other women, but because he's been married for so long. I'm sorry, you pleaded for him to go out with with other other women. women. He was separated for two weeks after a 33-year marriage. That's not a good time to meet somebody. In this episode, we'd like to welcome Janet, a Brooklyn born and raised retired teacher. She shares a lot with us her passion for theater, how she got accused of being a communist, the love story of when she met her husband later in life, and a funny theater joke at the end to keep us all smiling. So without further ado, please welcome Janet. Do you want to introduce yourself? What's your name? My name is Janet Carey. Great. And so tell me, how old are you? That's a, that's a private question. That's perfect response. In two months, I am going to be 85. Amazing. Amazing. And where did you grow up? I grew up in Brooklyn. Your whole life? My whole life. I, I lived in Manhattan for about seven years, and then I lived upstate in uh, Columbia County for about 25 years, just before I came back here. Nice. And what did you do up there? I had a great time. <laughs> I was retired. My husband was retired. And so we had this weekend summer house, and so we just decided to move up there full-time. And I, what did I do? I started a volunteer organization for a theater company called Shakespeare and Company that now has like 300 members, of which I'm very proud. And the two of us were part of the beginning of a small synagogue up in Columbia County. And I did pottery. I did water exercises. I had a really great time. Your, your eyes twinkled when you were mentioning all the fun mm-hmm. activities that you did. Why do you want to start like a theater company? That sounds really cool. I taught English and theater in high school. Oh, so you're a high school teacher. Oh, nice. And I love the theater. I go to the theater a lot. I had quite a number of students who went on into various aspects of theater. And so upstate, one of the things I loved about where I was in Berkshire County was that there were three or four really good summer theaters. And the one I got really connected to was Shakespeare and Company. And um, it became my home away from home. It's, uh, it's a wonderful place. What was your favorite Shakespeare theater to put on? What was my favorite Shakespeare play? Yeah, that you produced. I didn't produce them. I did the volunteers. Oh. I don't know what my favorite Shakespeare play is. Uh, they're not the plays that everybody thinks of. As favorite. I, I like, I don't really know. What was that Shakespeare play, the one with like 
Because I was in a Shakespeare play once and I tried out, I was really good at it. And so they put me as an extra because I'm not a good actor. That was, that was a joke. Okay. Um, and so it was, it was where there was a boat and like the boat crashed and everybody was like on an island. The Tempest. Yes. The Tempest. And I think I played someone drunk or something of that sort. I, you didn't play Caliban. Um, no, it was an extra. Okay. Definitely an extra. And my drama teacher made sure I knew it was an extra. So... I taught Shakespeare, and I loved teaching it. Mm-hmm. And um, it took a while to I loved teaching it, but I did. And I like teaching edgy plays, ed- edgy Shakespeare plays that are controversial. And so I had a lot of fun doing that. And so one semester, I had a very, very sharp class, and they were like an honors class in Shakespeare. And so I picked three plays to teach that year, that semester, without really thinking what they had in common. But the one play I picked was Othello, which is a play about a black moor who marries a white woman. and So it's a tragedy. And I guess in some sense it has to do with racial issues. Although that's not the central theme of the play, it is an important element. So then the next play I taught that year was The Merchant of Venice, which is a very controversial play because it could be considered very anti-Semitic, but... I also think it's anti-Christian. I don't think there are any good people in that play. (laughs) So that was an interesting play to teach. And then the third play I taught was The Taming of the Shrew. And so, because I love the characters, and that's really a male-female battle, really, and uh, between a very strong man and a very strong woman, and he tries to break her. And I have sort of offbeat interpretations of what's really going on there. And so when I look back, I said, what have I done? I really, I really picked this set of plays without thinking about a theme, but they definitely had a theme. I loved that class and that semester. Did you get a lot of like community pushback because it was so controversial, as you mentioned? No. Interestingly, when I first started my career and I was teaching in junior high school, this is a long story. It's okay. Hear? Please, yes. I came from a high school. We used to have a sing where every year the juniors and the freshmen and sophomores would compete. And they would create a script, and they would write original lyrics to melodies that are familiar. So when I went to junior high school, I was always interested in theater. So I, I started that there. And we used to do the 7th grade, 8th grade, ninth grade. And one year, the theme, of the, the theme of this thing was always brotherhood, because it happened during brotherhood month. And so we had this brilliant group of ninth grade kids who created a brilliant play about, it is a long story. Are you sure you want to hear I, it? Yes. Um, it was about, it started out with uh, Khrushchev and Kennedy and Vaughn Meter. There was a, it's before your time, where uh, Vaughn Meter did a, a comic imitation of them meeting and Khrushchev was played up as a character and they were trying to, so in our play, the three of them met, and they were trying to find a way for world peace. And they didn't know what to do. So finally, Khrushchev says, well, let's go back to the caveman days and see what they did there. So they went back to the caveman days, and then they weren't banning guns, but they were banning boulders. And derodactyls were dropping boulders on people. And there again, you had again you had a, a caveman Kennedy and a caveman Khrushchev. All of this was done in song. And then Kennedy says, well, let's go back to the original democracy. Let's go back to Greece. 
So they go back to Greece, and there's also a controversy between the Greek Khrushchev and the Greek Kennedy, because there's not really peace there, and Cupid has said that he's not going to shoot any more arrows, because people don't love each other, so what's he working? And they try to convince him. So it's it was a very complicated play for ninth graders to write, and it was all in song. And then at the end, oh my God, what happens? At the end, Khrushchev slips on Caroline, Caroline's skate, which had happened in the White House, and Kenny goes to help him. And it all comes out at the end that we can find peaceful coexistence, and it ended with a song that goes to I'll do, I do anything. So they sing this song, I do anything, you know, to, for world peace. And we would write these things as we went along, and, you know, we would constantly be writing them. So then it turned out that someone in the neighborhood stopped my assistant principal. He went to get gas saying, what is, that, what is it I hear about this play that you're doing in junior high that's pro-communist? Now, this was a time when you did not want to be pro-communist. This was in the early 70s. No, it was in the 60s. It was before the whole 60s. And he said, what are you talking about? He said, I hear you have a play about Khrushchev and Kennedy getting together. To make a very long story short, somebody came to my principal and protested the play and said it was anti-American and pro-communist. And he called me and my co-director in and said, have you ever belonged to any organizations that could be considered communist-leaning? I said, the only organization I ever belonged to was the Girl Scouts. So ultimately, it turned out to be the American Legion. And they wanted to, they wanted to read the script and edit it. And I said, no, no, not the American Legion. I said, give them the script. Let's hear what they want, what they don't like. And so we had to print up the script, which we had never done. And the American Legion came and went through the script. And my principal also invited the veterans of foreign wars and the Jewish war veterans to come to this meeting. It was in all the newspapers in New York. And... They objected to a few things. They objected that Khrushchev got all the laughs and that Kenny was just a straight man, but Khrushchev was a buffoon. But they didn't like that we wrote a song about Khrushchev to Sweet Georgia Brown because that's a positive song. They didn't like some of the I do anything. So we looked at these and we said, I'm not changing anything except one line I will change because I can see if somebody is really twisted in their thinking, they could think this was communist. It's like, you know, I do, it was many stanzas, but that stanza was, I do anything, I'd like modern art, which Khrushchev didn't like, anything. And he says, with Pravda, I'd not part anything. And he says, I sleep in Lincoln's bed, Khrushchev says, anything. And Kenny says, we'll paint the White House red. So I said, okay, I could see how somebody who's looking to make trouble could think that line was... So we changed it. So it's like, do you mean what I what you said or something? And that's the only line I agreed to change. And then they were going to cancel the show, and then the parents had a picket line outside the building, and all the press came, and they forced us to put on the show, and we were reviewed in the local newspapers, the news, and the Eagle, and the, and that was... That was a period, an event in my life that is unlike any other. It sounds like you were living 2021. You're yeah. 
back in the 60s, very similar things were happening now. Right. Doesn't history repeat itself so often? So for me to be accused of having communist leanings and teaching them was just so ridiculous, absurd. I mean, the Girl Scouts was the organization I had belonged to. So, and my partner, he was very nervous because he ultimately wanted to become an assistant principal and he was afraid that um, this would be on his record. And uh, the principal was wonderful. He stood up for us. He was great. And he really kept our names out of the paper. So I was in graduate school at night, teachers, you know, working on their master's. And I came in, they were all talking about this article and these teachers and blah, blah, blah. I said, look, I have to tell you something. I said, that's me. That's what? I said, that's me in there. So anyway. I like how um, you were happy they kept your name out of the papers. Oh, yeah. I, I would ask him to please put mine Do in what? the papers. Not if you were a new teacher who didn't have well, any that's tenure. that's true, yeah. <laughs> I had no tenure. It was like, no, I didn't want my name. <laughs> so you said you were in the Girl Scouts? Yeah. Do you remember a lot of your times in the Girl Scouts? Um, I went to Girl Scout camp. That I remember. The Girl Scouts in the city was okay, but I went to Girl Scout camp from the age of six until I became a head counselor. In Girl Scouts. In Girl Scout camp. And that was, I learned a lot. I learned a lot. What did you learn? What did I learn to be, I learned to be a little self, I rely on myself. I learned a little confidence. I learned how to build a great campfire. I learned about nature. I learned about, I learned all kinds of other skills. And, um, and it, being a counselor was what made me decide that I wanted to be a teacher. Oh, so it was a really life-changing experience for yeah, you. Yeah, it was. It was a big part of my life. Did you have any children? I have stepchildren. Stepchildren from your partner's side. Yes, I got married. I was single for a very long time. I met my husband when I was 48. And we got married when I was 52. And he was 62. And he came with four children. Oh, I kind of love that. So I had four stepchildren. I'm very close to... Two of them, one is estranged from all of us, and one unfortunately died a couple of years ago. I'm sorry about that. And I have, well, it depends on how you count. I don't count the estranged person. Yeah, I have five grandchildren, and I have five great-grandchildren. I won't ask if you have a favorite, but if you do, nod. A favorite grandchild yeah. or a favorite great-grandchild? Either. Not really. Oh, okay. I have fav- I have different ones of favorites for different reasons. Oh, I like that. Um, I'm definitely not the favorite in my family, but that's okay. That just means I can call my mom less. I was uh, an only child. I didn't have to worry about it. Oh, really? So, but that was the thing. I was a single only child at the age of 48, and I met my husband, and he brought four children into my life. Can we talk about love for a bit? Love? Yeah. Anytime. How, like, how was it finding love later in life? It was very interesting because I did not get married because I didn't want to. You know, it, oh. it just didn't happen. And when I met my husband, having been single for so long, you meet a lot of men who are, you know, what are they? They're difficult, they're self-centered, they're, they're all kinds of terrible things. They, have, they play games. Preach. They can't make commitments if they've been not married up to that age. So here comes my husband, who I met in a very interesting way, who was separated for two weeks after a 32-year marriage. And it was sort of love at first sight. Oh, tell me about that. And so my first reaction to him, when my girlfriend called before he had even left the apartment that first night, I thought, I said to him, there's no future in this relationship because there are too many obstacles in the way. But he has the sexiest mind of anybody I've ever met. 
So I'll go out with him. My, my husband was brilliant. And he was not a game player. He was right out there. Our third date, he said to me, I told my children about us. I said, you what? I almost jumped out of a moving car. He said, what did you tell them? He said, that we're in love. I said, are we? He said, I am. Wow. And so neither one of I pleaded with him to go out with other women, but because he'd been married for so long. I'm sorry, you pleaded for him to go out with with other other women. women. It's not, he was separated for two weeks after a 33 year marriage. That's not a good time to meet somebody. No, I agree. I agree. I, I, um, yeah. I mean, he he married his high school sweetheart and he was now 58. You know, I said, the world has changed. Relationships have changed. You know, coupling has changed. You should go out there and see what's happening. They didn't want to. It was a wonderful, wonderful marriage. It was really a loving marriage. That makes my heart skip a bit. Um, I, I have a boyfriend now. I, I if you even if he looks at another guy, I get mad. So to see that you told him to go find someone else originally, it's brave, but also too that that shows how much you believed in yourself and in him. To make sure that it was the right I didn't really believe that <clears throat> I was ever going to get married. And so, because it hadn't happened. And what happens is when you meet somebody who just comes out there and says, you know, I'm in love with you and I don't want to date anybody. It's sort of scary because you can't, can't believe that's really happening to you. And it's, you sort of brought it back away from it. And then at some point you say, why don't I just let it in? <laughs> ah, so when when did you decide to be like, do you know what? I'm not going to fight this. When did I decide? To not fight it anymore and say, if he wants to love me, I'm going to love him too. It didn't take long. <laughs> he was a really exceptional person. Yeah. Did you have a big wedding? Yeah, a pretty nice wedding. I had, you, there's a lot of, I'm talking a lot. I love it. This is about you. At one point, we were living together, and I said to him, we should not get married. We should just live together. We know we're committed. We know we're not going anywhere. He said, why? I said, because financially, it's crazy. If we get married, your kids will never get financial aid for college. If we get married, you're going to have to pay taxes. He taught in New Jersey. I was in Brooklyn. You're going to have to pay taxes in both states. And more important than that, I lived in a building where your income, where your rent was a little bit dependent on your income. Yeah. And if I added his income to my income, my rent was going to go up 50%. So I said, for all those reasons, we should just... And he said to me, being the romantic he was, he said, no, Janet, you've never been married. He said, there's a difference between committing to each other and saying, telling the world and telling God that you love each other. So I want to get married. I said, okay, okay. And so my husband was Irish Catholic. I'm Jewish, but it didn't really matter at that point because I wasn't having children at, you know, the age of 48. So even my family that's sort of narrow-minded didn't care. As a matter of fact, my cousin said, you look so happy. If you had brought an orangutan to the party, it wouldn't be okay. I said, thank you very much. So um, so we're sitting one night. We, we went, we were going to Italy. My husband had a sabbatical to teach at the University of Rome, and I was getting a sabbatical. And we were going to go to Italy on our honeymoon for six months. So all of a sudden, we're studying Italian. And all of a sudden, I just said to him, it's too bad you're not Jewish. And he said, why? I said, because if you were Jewish, we could go to the synagogue in Rome. We could get married. We could tell God and tell our friends. And God would know, but the IRS would not. (laughs) 
that was a level of joking I was at. And he said to me, I've been meaning to talk to you about that. I said, about what? He said, I want to be a Jew. I said, right. You don't have enough problems. You want to be Jewish also? He said, no, I've for years he had been interested in being Jewish. And he had read, he was brilliant. He had read a lot in Judaism. And I think what he, and he grew up in a neighborhood that was a lot of Jewish immigrants, parents. And he said, I think what I brought to it was, first of all, a, a reason that the world would accept, and also the family part. My family's very Jewish family. Like you know, traditional. Everybody, everybody talks at one time, and you know, it's like, not like the reserved Irish. And so when I realized he was serious, I said, are you really serious? I mean, I was joking. He said, yes. I said, well, then we should not get married until you convert so that we can get married as Jews. So then we set out looking for a rabbi. I took a course with him on intro to Judaism. We found this fabulous, wonderful rabbi um, who converted him. And then he married us, and then later on he misfit my husband. And so my husband became a very committed Jew. Oh, more so than you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Lots of converts are. Um, what do you think that is? Because they're, they're choosing it. Mm. You know, you don't choose the religion you're born into. You choose the religion that calls to you. So, I mean, you could be getting converted because your wife wants to get you converted, but that wasn't the case here. And so he learned Hebrew. He taught himself Hebrew. He then read the entire Old Testament in Hebrew. He then started teaching courses on the Psalms and the Prophets. I think had he been five years younger or so, he might have thought of becoming a rabbi. And um, I had to adjust to that. I wasn't quite sure. I wanted to follow him in that direction. And... Um, but it was beautiful. It was a beautiful thing to watch. You know, I grew up in um, Yakima, Washington, Washington State. Um, very Mexican, right? Very, very Mexican, Catholic. Uh, and then I moved to London and I came to New York. And I had never really interacted with a lot of Jewish people. And so all of this is very, very new for me still. Um, and one of my friends took me to Zabar's for the real experience. And uh, <laughs> yeah, that was an experience nonetheless. And so... I'm always really fascinated uh, with not just the religion, but also the culture around it. It's a wonderful culture. I mean, like, not without issues, but it's, it's, I'm much more agnostic than my husband. Mm. My husband, on the other hand, was also very a rationalist and, you know, read the Bible as metaphor, not as, you know, the hand, written by the hand of God, but which, which I do too. And, um, it was wonderful because he brought me back to Judaism because I had the Judaism in my family was more orthodox and there is no place for a single woman in orthodox Judaism. There just isn't. At least there wasn't then. And so I had stopped going to synagogue. I had, you know, I was with my family. My family was together. But then he brought me back and we started going to synagogue every Friday night because we had this fabulous rabbi who we loved to listen to. And then we started the synagogue upstate. So, and he used to lead services, my husband. Really? I love that. I, I, Me too. I just, I love that story when you talked about him. Like I could tell by your eyes that they went and wandered somewhere. And I think finding love, um, it's my first time ever being in love myself. And it's wild that humans can feel this way. 
Um, I, How old are you? I'm 31. I had to think about it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really, really wild. I often feel like, I think the, the feeling for me is so overwhelming that the only way I can release my emotions is like crying. And then I look over to my partner and he's like, fine. And I'm like, good. I'm glad that you're dealing with this quite well. Appreciate it. I'm like, can you at least rub some like onions under your eyes or something? Cool. Okay, so look, this is what I'll do. Um, at this portion, I want you to start thinking of like a funny story or the funniest joke you've heard. I think I'd really like to just take a moment, think about it. Um, in the interim, a couple of things that you said, I kind of have some jokes around and so I'm going to run them by you. If they're funny, laugh. If not, then tell me that they're not. And I think all, all is fair. I can't promise that they're funny either. Um, you mentioned that you're Jewish, right? Um, I, I went to, to Jerusalem for Christmas. I went to Jerusalem a couple of Christmases ago and I loved it because like, I remember I was walking down the cobbly road and it just like hit me then. I was like, Jesus walked the same road that I walked. Like he saw the same souvenir shops that I saw. Do you like it? Um, it's, do I think there is a joke? It's humorous. Okay. Well, um, maybe I'll just quit stand-up. Like that, <laughs> yeah, that. Have to quit. Yeah, maybe I'll just quit. You know, you mentioned theater. And, you know, in, in high school, you always feel, at least for me, I always feel like I was like the most talented person there. Just <laughs> no one knew it, including myself. And so I remember the first time I tried out for my high school play. And there were so many students that tried out for that play because I remember that they had to make some parts into two different characters to allow for enough... Mm-hmm enough for everybody to participate. And then the next day after I tried out, I had I had a, like dreams that I was going to be the lead. And I came in and they posted who got what role. And I looked all the way down and I saw my name and next to it was Lights and Sounds. Um, and so I was that bad of an actor that they put me in Lights and Sounds. And so all I really heard was, Hilberto, sound please. And then I would just push the little play button and that was my whole role in the play. From then, I knew that acting wasn't for me. You just made me think of a funny joke. Okay, tell me. That I have not thought about for years. It's an old one. I don't know whether you know it. So there's this young guy who wants to be an actor. And he keeps going to auditions. God, I haven't thought about this joke for a long time. He starts going to auditions, and finally they cast him in a part. He only has one line in the play, but it's the opening line. So they keep impressing on him. That even though it's on one, only one line, it's very important. And the line he's supposed to say is, Hark, the cannon boometh. Do you know this joke? You're going to love this. So he doesn't have to come to all the rehearsals. He just has to know the line. So during the next couple of weeks, every time he's in front of a mirror, he'll say, Hark, the cannon boometh. Or, Hark, the cannon boometh. Or, Hark, the cannon boometh. And he keeps practicing and taking different stances. And now they're getting ready to um, dress rehearsal. So he gets called in for a costume. And he puts on the costume. And the director says, let me hear the line. And he says, hark, the cannon boom. And he said, perfect. Perfect. And he's now in costume. And he's practicing backstage. Hark, the cannon boom. Hark, the cannon boom. He tells his friends. He's got the opening line. Opening night happens. Curtain opens. He's the only one on stage. There's a huge bang of a cannon in the back and he says what the fuck was that
That actually made me laugh. That a lot. shows you about how important rehearsals are. Yeah, <laughs> I mean that. I think that does it pretty I love nicely. That joke. I totally forgot that joke. All right. Is there anything else that you want to say? Now that you got me going, I could talk forever. Now. I just, um, I don't know. This is a tough time of life. Why? Why? Yeah. Being old and being needing help to just live your life—that's so hard. Well, I'm glad you spent some time with me to talk about your life. Thank you I find so it much. Super interesting. And the story of love made me really happy. And I'm glad it made you happy too. Well, thank you. Thank you for being here today. Oh, one last question. What are your plans tomorrow? What are my plans tomorrow? Tomorrow's Wednesday. I have physical therapy in the morning. I have to look at my busy calendar. Perfect. I don't have any of Aaron's activities on my calendar, so I don't know what he's got to learn. But I have physical therapy at 11. I'm getting a haircut at 1.30. And we may be playing Jeopardy at 4 o'clock. But the haircut and the physical therapy come first. Well, I hope you win Jeopardy if you do play. I don't win. There are a couple of people here much smarter than I am. <laughs> Thanks again. You're welcome. I love my time with Janet. It was great to be able to relive those moments with her. She really is a who. Hmm, I don't use that word. I'm going to use it more often. Thank you for spending the time with us. As I'm trying to grow this channel, please share this with your friends, your family. Give us a rating, subscribe, come back next time. As a little thank you and a token of my appreciation, I have a little bonus clip that we recorded after the podcast of, let's just say, our favorite words to use in the classroom. Hmm. I hope this age is well. Till next time. But I once, I was teaching junior high and I had this horrible class at the end of the day and they were tough. They were really tough. And there was one kid, I wanted to wring his neck. And he used to really, you know, I was trying not to let him see that he was getting to me. And I don't remember what he did. It was a very hot day and he did something and I just walked over to him and I said, in front of the class, I said, and this was probably like 1970, it was not 2021. I said, who the fuck do you think you are? And the class went rigid. I don't think they'd ever heard a teacher say that. And they got so quiet and so attentive. It was great. I thought I'd use it more often. I think more teachers should use that more often. I, I think that's a good job. <laughs> One of the things I love about teaching, there is no job in the world where you laugh as much. Because kids are so funny. They're wonderful and they're funny and they're great. That's a good way of looking at it. Um, I don't remember that too fondly growing up. Kids being great, funny and, and great, but from a well, teacher's the perspective. Teachers yeah, yeah.